At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombard here, the World Messenger, greeting you again. Another episode of Legacy Leaders. And I have pleasure to have a, someone's very special with me today from Orange County, California. He is U.S. Navy veteran, sales brand and business development expert, and digital disruptor. He's so much more, and I will let Glenn Ingram to tell us what did I miss and what he is up to. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Um, I think it's I enjoy meeting people, connecting people, working with people. So I think that's why I've been in sales for so long. You get to meet more people and talk to them. And it's been a fun journey helping other people um, maybe follow that path, move down that path. So for the last 20 years, I've been in sales, sales management, owning my own companies and just trying to help make people's lives better. That is fantastic. And I know the sale is one of the biggest fears for a lot of specifically small to medium-sized businesses actually, because it doesn't come naturally or we're petrified and we have all kinds of feelings towards sales and feel slimy and feels like I'm trying to just to get a buck. It's just all kinds of ranges of emotions. And I'm curious, how did you even, first of all, get into it? And how did you really depict all of this fear factors and associations going on from personally and then also from other people? Well, it's kind of interesting that you asked that. Um, I was in operations management running businesses for people when my wife and I first met. And at some point, I think our girls were maybe two or three years old, she made the comment to me, you're never going to make as much money running businesses as you will if you sell for businesses. <clears throat> so I thought, what the heck? I went to my owner the next week. We asked him if we could have a lunch, convinced him to give me a sales position that was open in the company. And that's how I started doing sales. Um, went wow. out to the- Your wife knew, knew you very well what you would be great at it. So that is amazing. Yeah. yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, even though I talked to people, you know, via the phone, running customer service departments and having stuff like that in the past, my first trip was out to the Northeast. So to like New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. And literally the first day I didn't get out of the hotel because I was petrified to go out and sell. Wow. Somehow during that first day, I realized there's no one here that knows me. If I sound stupid, they're never going to laugh at me at the grocery store or run into them at the mall. So I just went out and started talking to people and made myself do it. And that was the first step of being a salesperson. Wow, Glenn, and how much that changes. Think about now with fast forward and digital footprint. So if you make a video or statement, anything publicly, right? It is penetrates. It's a part of the history. It goes forever and ever. And you don't have no idea who is going to sit, but also who is going to be able to backtrack and find you. Mm -hmm. How now you contrast the current environments and current events with that? Uh, yeah, I just, um, 
I think it's one of those things that anytime we do something for the first time, it's kind of natural that we're kind of afraid we're our own worst enemies. We're the most critical of ourselves. Um, I know when I started this years ago and started making some videos or just doing some voiceovers, I would probably do 20, 30 takes because, oh, this wasn't good enough or that wasn't good enough until you finally have a few that are out there in the world and people are like, oh, this is great. You think, hmm, maybe I can do this. And once you get that psyche out of the way, then you just sit down, shut up and talk. That is amazing because I know that women are more critical than men. And then to just to say, hear you transparently sharing that that is also something that you had a struggle with and really shows that actually we cannot be gender biased. It's we're humans and we have to look at this from human perspective, right? Yeah, I think we all are our own worst enemies. We always think we maybe can't do this or can't do that and until you finally take the chance and do it and realize eh, it's not that big a deal. It's kind of like jumping in the pool for the first time. The first time it was scary and then we had a blast as kids doing it. That is so true. I guess that's always that first step. And I know that obviously you are not uh, new to all kinds of ranges of fear, obviously, uh, and exposure. How do you act despite of the fear? Do you mind just for the younger audience and the ones that are truly now grasping that we live in a world where sale, no matter what position you hold, you are selling company, you're selling your brand, you're selling yourself to employer, whatever situation might be. Do you mind sharing one of those uh, pivotal moments uh, that helped you break through and really distill what the sales psychology is all about? I'm sure. Um, back at that same position, I don't think I'd been in it two or three months. It seemed like it was just a few weeks, but I'm sure it was longer. Um, I had met a company very, very large pharmaceutical company, and they're people that were in charge of our services. I met the president, he thought I was late for a meeting. I don't think I was, I think we had a miscommunication, but he was very quick. You either run the system the way we have it or you won't be working with us. And it wasn't two weeks after having a very brief meeting with him that I have one of his customers or, or service providers trying to contact us and wanting to us to do work for them and circumvent their system. And again, I hadn't been in sales management very long. So I go to talk to one of the um, family members of the company I worked for. And I said, I think this is what's going on. And I think I should do this, which was contact the person in charge and say, this is what's going on. I don't want to violate your trust. We just got to know one another and um, end up having a conversation with the person that was trying to circumvent their rules while um, the a customer listened in on the phone and they didn't know it was there. So that was kind of my trial by fire. I realized that doing the right thing is always the right thing to do. And that client of ours, we tripled the amount of business we did with them in the next 60, 90 days. So it was kind of, you know, are you, am I being tested? If I'm being tested, how do I respond? And to start building those relationships because again, as you mentioned, it doesn't matter if you're internal customers, if you're a boss, a, a, someone that you're working for or outside customers, Everyone is a sales customer. You're selling to everybody. It's just you're telling them what type of services you're providing, whether they're internal or external customers. So as long as I think you're genuine and you do what's right, in the end, it'll all work out. 
That is such a powerful share, um, Glenn, because we're looking at all, all stuff that is happening right now. And, and it is so interesting because people find me, for example, I'm from Europe, lived in the last 20 some years in the United States. And, and right now, due to the social media, people can find you, right? And your previous coworkers, employers, etc. So it's so much now and open and visible. And I also think one big pivotal thing from a leadership standpoint that people forget it's like either you exude the trust, either you have integrity or not, uh, either you're looking for the best customer's interest and, and you try and really wholeheartedly to solve uh, their problem and navigate best solution, that shows no matter what or doesn't. And, mm -hmm. and people have already opinion. And, and, and I feel like a lot of times I'm seeing a lot of trying to make things quick push for sale or whatever it is, quick win, but people don't realize Sale is not just a quick win and Wall Street short cycle. It is the long-term relationships and, and everything else that goes with that. Would you agree with that? 100%. I think if, if you're just going for a fast sale, a fast win, then you're a commodity. You're something that's easily started and stopped. Versus if you provide a solution, you develop a relationship, you have the best interests of your client at heart first, now it's much harder to get rid of someone that's providing a solution versus just someone that's providing a service. That, wow, that is great golden nugget, actually. Guys, listen, watch. Uh, Glenn, do you mind repeating that again? <laughs> well, I think it, when you're just providing something that's based on price, you're just a dime a dozen. It's just like a commodity. They can interchange somebody else with you for the same price or maybe a lesser price. But if you are actually being a consultant, um, listening to the client and providing a service based upon their needs. Now you're not just a commodity as a service provider or slash maybe partner. Now you're more of a long-term approach versus just a short-term quick fix, something to plug a hole. That is very interesting. So if you don't mind, I would love to go a little bit uh, back to a few things uh, that we chatted a second ago and, and expand a little bit upon, if you don't mind. One thing I obviously recognize you've been serving in the US Navy and thank you for your service and you're a veteran. I'm curious how much, way before your wife recognized that you are actually great fit for sales, how much um, your upbringing and self-confidence, right, and then service in U.S. Navy contributed for you to feel um, sale is not such a big deal. I can, I can do this. Do you see any connection there or, or how that molds you to be this trustworthy, um, kind, uh, transparent, eager to serve and support and, and consistent in all of that? Yeah, I think it all started out when I was younger when my father was the type of person that would talk to anyone. You know, when I was younger, I didn't have those same skills or confidence, but I think just starting out with that and um, then from going to when I was in the military, um, I think what was kind of a pivotal point that I didn't think at the time, I was actually called up and I was in Desert Storm back in 91. And I didn't really like the job that I had. So our number two guy that was in charge of us was actually from the same area I was in Nebraska. And so he gave me a job of being a logistics officer for the hospital. And so every day I would go out and try and talk people into giving us, selling us, whatever, what my people, the doctors in the hospital wanted. So I think that was my first um, entry into sales, if you will, was just trying to convince other branches of the military if they had a set of parallel bars or some other type of equipment that we wanted for the hospital for, to find a way for them to let us have it and, and leave with it while we were there. So um, I guess that was my first experience with negotiating and sales. 
That is brilliant. The reason why I wanted for you to share that you are able to reinvent yourself. And right now, with the current time where we're at, a lot of people are struggling. They're like, my position get away, or, or, or I don't feel any more passionate about things, or I really learned a company I'm part of. It's not really right fit for me. Where should I go? So we have all kinds of dialogues and conversations with people that we know, right? And mm -hmm. that they're struggling but they're having a hard time looking holistically at themselves and all these years of experience and things that shaped them to mold them and sometimes as we say we're the most oblivious and blind to our own uh either you know weaknesses but also more than ever our strengths what would you say for our audience about that well i think back to what you mentioned before so a lot of people have a negative connotation when it comes to sales you know that sleazy salesperson and I see a lot of people that are very good at providing service. So if they've worked inside, they've had contacts with customers and provi provided great service for them after the sale. In my experience, all sales is just telling them what you're going to do prior to the sale. So if they're good at relating to people, if they're good at providing excellent customer service, if they're good at follow up and making sure that everything is done right for the client, all they have to do is tell the client what they're going to do prior instead of proving it at the end. And they just have to prove it at the end, but I don't think it's that big of a step if we can just get past it, you know, the, the six inches between our ears to actually talk to somebody prior to them signing a contract and being a customer. I mean, that's what I did in the beginning. I was on the backside of providing service and it didn't take long to realize that all I was going to do was say, you know, Isabella, this is what we're going to do for you. Because if you, if a salesperson signs up a new client for you, as soon as they come on, you're going to be saying, okay, Isabella, this is what we're going to do for you. It's just one step quick earlier. And as soon as they're comfortable talking like that, I think anybody that has any type of service or experience, whether it be working with clients, working with vendors, it's not a big step to go over to the sales side. That is a great point. Um, anticipation, consistency, knowing what is coming. So that in a way you have the sale and you already have a yes without really trying to push it and convince anybody or chase somebody. Um, so do you mind just, I'm just really confused right now with everything that is happening on global scale, obviously. I'm, I'm looking things from, you know, world map and then the localization and specific parts of the U.S., etc. And I'm hearing different types of dialogues, you know, where some people are overly pessimistic. And then on the other contrary side, people that are like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is a lot of opportunity and things are actually going great. So do you mind sharing your perspective, how things are happening right now, where you at, and, and, and what, what, what are your thoughts are, what, what opportunities do you see, or where the hiccups are, uh, in your opinion, as well? Well, I think the problem is, is A, we have some young people in the world, and B, we have people that don't have very good long-term memory. Because I um, sold through and was in a sales capacity during the 2008 recession. And so I was able to see business owners that were more strategic and planning and making a pivot, if you will, and getting and realizing that when times are a little bit tighter, they have to push a little bit harder, maybe promote a little bit more, advertise a little bit more, maybe hire one more person to attain the same result. And those businesses that I saw that did that in 2008 had, were very strong in 2009 and 10 versus the businesses that kind of recoiled a little bit and tried to just get rid of expenses some of them didn't make it through it. And so I'm seeing that a lot because we work people across the country as well as I have relationships around the world. And so you're seeing that a lot everywhere as far as businesses that are a little bit more, 
I guess, forward thinking and are finding ways to push through this into we've seen a ton of businesses that have shut down already in the last six months because they didn't come up with a way to change what they were doing to rebrand, to re-identify themselves and have a solution moving forward. You know, if you're not looking for solutions and moving forward, as I say in business, typically you're moving backwards and some of them are going to slide backwards pretty quickly, but that's going to leave more opportunity for those that stick through and have better solutions in the end. Brilliant. I, that is great. I feel like obviously for complacent in anything, even in a good times, we feel like we're coasting and things are still happening, but we really don't realize how all of that non-action or not pushing forward and taking things to the next step can really create a domino effect and crumble everything. And this particular year, it's definitely a test of, um, you know, leadership in my way, in a way, right? Because uh, are we ready to lead the companies? Are we ready to make a bold movements? Um, are we ready to be uncomfortable? So do you mind sharing for listeners and viewers um, some of the golden nuggets or, or, or just a few steps that you, based on experience, which I cannot agree more with you, uh, from either small, medium, or large companies that are just either hoarding the money or sitting on it and waiting what's gonna happen with election, what's gonna happen before year ends, and then, then try to plan for 2021. It's like, you can't stop the time and you can't freeze it because every time we are not acting, we're losing the footing because we're not really truly then in the game, right? Anytime you're reactive, you're going to be at least a quarter, maybe two quarters behind the people that are proactive. Um, I'm on a uh, panel to speak here in two weeks and they, we were talking about the name of it and someone said something about 2020 and my comment to them was 2020 has such a negative connotation. Why aren't we talking about preparing for 2021? Because as a business, you're always planning three, six, 12 months out. If you're not, you're never going to hit those projections by focusing on the smaller objectives and then the larger objectives will come true. So yeah, I think right now, if you're not forecasting out for first quarter of 2021 or second quarter, you're never going to hit those objections or, or hit those objectives because you didn't give yourself long enough to plan long enough to make a pivot and long enough to put that plan in action. So I think the people that are sitting around waiting 2021 may not be a fun year either. That is excellent point. That is excellent point. So looking now because we're literally on the end of september we have one quarter to go and of 2020 that's going to go very very fast as we know we have a major holidays here in the united states when anywhere things are slowing down in the united states and to me that is perfect time to rebrand reinvent uh, as you said reposition restructure and then really see what is where is the appetite for your product and services right what what is really needed and in the pick and and drive with that so besides your expert in sales, you also have a strong expertise in branding. And I love the brand you created with Paul around the Blubbit and, and how you guys actually having this really awesome podcast. And thank you so much for having me on your show. And you guys have been amazing hosts and, and, and I also learned so much. But the beauty is what I'm seeing again, it's like, I didn't have no idea that also brand side is there, you know, but do you mind sharing now, how do you see sales and branding um, interjecting and, and even taking things and to skyrocketing uh, opportunities? Well, I don't, I think if you don't have a brand, whether it be personally, professionally or your business, you really don't have anything to stand upon and start selling. 
because in this day and age, whether you're the salesperson or the company, when someone sets up an appointment with a new business owner, what, what are they going to do? They're going to go online. They're going to look at your LinkedIn. They're going to look at different things and try and determine who they're meeting with, what type of company is coming to talk to them. So that's kind of like your old, um, you know, first um, five minutes of a presentation when they talk about this is what really is important or the first 30 seconds. Well, that started before you actually ever got there because people are looking at your LinkedIn, your business pages, your websites, things like that to determine, you know, is this company legitimate? Is it someone that I want to work with? What are their standards? What are their policies and things like that? So I think if you don't start by letting everybody know this, looking at you, who you are and what you're about, when you come into a meeting then with them, you're going to have to do all that over again and maybe even do it to a higher degree because if when I start talking to you and you've looked at my website, you've looked at my LinkedIn pages and what the way I present myself what I start to say is congruent with those other messages, then I seem more legitimate and more of a standard stand-up person. When you have things that maybe aren't congruent, now you're going to let them start thinking, hmm, why is this person talking to me? Can I believe everything they're saying to me? And you're going to start doubts. Anytime you start relationships with doubts, it's a lot harder to get to positives. That is excellent point. Um, a lot of times I remember specific older generation, um, you know, millennials are so techy and involved in everything and they're able to disseminate information in so many ways. So you really get a good sense of who they are personal and professionally. But I feel like for us that all of those things are learning curve, right? Uh, a lot of people just simply will just do very minimum. And right now, I said more than ever, the opportunity is to expand upon that and, and really retain, even if you did not catch up till today, you have still chance and opportunity and you will be better off what you do now versus, you know, not doing anything. But I also see a lot of, um, as you say, congruency, authenticity, obviously it's a very important trustworthiness because people quickly make a decision and judgment based on what you say, how you say it, how you present, how you sound um, and, and what's important to you, right? So interesting things that happened. And I want to ask you, I have a, more than one occasion being told your brand is very expensive your brand looks like very expensive brand and and i don't know if i can afford your fees what would you uh say about that or 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 or, or, or give advice or recommend because i was really startled by that comment and seeing and hearing that multiple occasions recently i was like what that really means of course i ask a lot of follow-up questions and then depicting that but i'm just curious what when you get to the point also when your brain maybe it is strong and all of it personal and professionally yet maybe put some people as as uh, as off because we may not be able to actually work with you because i don't know if we can afford you well i think it's important anytime you're creating a brand they call it an avatar, if you will, to, to figure out what is your ideal client and then take that branding and approach it and apply it to what you're looking for. You know, if you're someone that's wanting higher end services, high end tickets, then yes, you need to have that persona that you, don't, you can talk to all the rest. But if you hire me, you're hiring the best. You know, conversely, if you're trying to sell something to the masses, then you want to change that message. Um, I think a prime story with that was... Um, Back a long, 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 long time ago, I used to work for a phone book company. And so I had 
one of the larger insurance companies in two different uh, Midwest cities. And one of the cities, we just weren't getting as many phone calls when we tracked how many phone calls came from the newspaper or from the phone book. And so one night I had a bunch of our neighbors around and we were starting to talk about some stuff and I just did my own focus group, if you will. I opened up the ad and I said, can you tell me what you would think about this? And we lived in a community of like 30, 40, all young families, young children, things like that. And one of the women said for this insurance agent, well, I wouldn't hire him, he's snobbish. He has a Mercedes and a Cadillac in the, in the ad. We have, we drive um, Hondas and, and Ford Explorers and things like that are Jeeps in, in our neighborhood. So I thought, hmm, that was interesting. I literally changed the pictures in the ad the next year to a Honda Accord and a Jeep Cherokee instead of the other ones and our calls went up 15 to 20%. So you have to realize who your audience is and make sure that brand is applicable to them because you don't want to be too snobby if you're trying to work with people that are working class and vice versa. If you don't want to work with just everyone and you only want to work with top end clients, then having a brand that looks snobbish is fine. That's very interesting because uh, it's different when, when you approach it or I approach it, but it's interesting when I was approached, you know, it's like, oh, we love X, Y, and Z, but we're not sure even if we can entertain idea because this is how it's perceived, right? And that was really great. I mean, I was really grateful for the feedback, but I love what you just said, knowing targeted audience of right now, also knowing how to scale, right? Scaling, it's a very crucial too. And then also, I also think it's a very important giving. I, I personally love people say don't ever thought about giving things for free or using the free analogy there but uh sometimes it's it's specifically in times like this it's opportunity also to connect and build relationships either is quick uh, free consultation or conversation just to understand because i might not be a good fit but you might be actually ideal right and then understanding uh where other people are coming from without turning them down at least because if they're reaching out it's reason why they're reaching out it's just something that they either seen it that's something uh they feel uh, that resonates or they want or or they would like to replicate and sometimes even just advice and i really think a lot of people make mistake not allowing that time to have that conversation and then see where it goes because doesn't always everything has to go guys to the sale and closing the specifically first time wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, what is your thoughts about that, Glenn? Well, it always depends on where you're at at the stage of your career, your business, your op platform you are at the time. You know, um, the more time we have, the more time we spend. The less time we have, the more we have to kind of qualify. And sometimes, you know, you're going like this, then you can go like this, and we kind of go at, at a jagged term. So I think the one thing I would say with regards to those is sometimes as small business owners particularly, they are so encompassed on doing everything and being everything that they will miss out on opportunities like that because they don't take some time to give back, to give some free advice because they haven't learned how to let go yet. And that's the biggest thing I see with smaller businesses is letting go. And I've been as guilty of that as anybody. We grew a very large business that if I had let go sooner, it would have been a lot larger. But sometimes we are afraid that nobody else will do it the way we do it. And that may be true. But you know what, sometimes a B and being able to do more service, more business is better than an A and not being able to meet all those needs or being able to bring on as many customers as you can. So I think sometimes it's just, are we going to let go enough and are we going to have strategic relationships and strategic partners so that we can do and grow at some of those capacities and then be able to, as you said, to give back because yeah, I've done a lot of 
pro bono, almost free work for a lot of nonprofits over the years that inevitably every time I've done that, taking the time to help someone that needed some help, it's come back to me three or fourfold. Mm. I love that you just pointed out that does not only that is rewarding makes you good feel about yourself right but also truly does help you with uh understanding how everything in life it goes in cycles and 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 it is great way to really uh show what you care what you're compassionate about and what is important to you um but i love also the comment you made it about letting go do you mind expanding a little bit more about it because it's like how do you know where it's time to let go right it's for each of us it's different but uh, at least some signs to really, it's like, it's a time to hire somebody part-time and outsource this, or is it time to trust that my new team member will be able to do X, Y, and Z? So do you mind just sharing some of those signs that you are seeing consistently to help that uh, taking business to the next level? And I honestly have to say, some people are really afraid also to tremendously succeed and grow exponentially because it's like, oh my God, what do I do now? I've never been there. How am I going to be now responsible for all these millions of dollars? And what happens if I don't do the right job? And all of those things that we have noise in the background. Well, I think it's just realizing limitations. And I think one of the things that a lot of us have a hard time doing is admitting that we have limitations. Um, I know I've seen a lot of clients or a lot of business owners that kind of, like I said, hit those plateaus because there's only so many hours in the day or days in the week that they can be doing something. So there's only a certain limit on how far they can grow until again, they get out of their own way and try and do things differently. Again, present company, not excluded. Um, we had one branch of our company that I always kind of held on to like my baby. My wife wanted to be a part of it. And I said, no, I have to do this. This has to be done this way until I made a pivot a couple years ago to start going in a different direction. And she was upset that we weren't still following the direction that had been true to us for a long time. And I finally said, fine, if you want to take over this part of the company, you can do it. And she made the comment to me, you always said I couldn't do this and you had to do it and blah, blah, blah. And as much as I had to eat crow, it took me about three hours to completely develop a process to show her exactly how to take over this part of the company that I thought I was the only one that could do this. Nobody would do it the same. And I was in my own way. So, I mean, anytime you want to make a pivot, you want to grow, you have to expand. I think the more you identify what you're good at and what you're weak at, um, you're going, once you do that, you're going to grow so much more. And what sometimes what we have a hard time understanding is that 50% of a big number is still a lot more than 100% of a small number. So it's hard to get to this huge number doing everything yourself. You have to be able to let go. You have to be able to bring people in that can do stuff. And you have to maybe lower your expectation a little bit because nobody is going to do things more often than not, in your opinion, the same way you are or as well as you are. But again, is this B good enough to be better than all your competition, even though you wanted to be an A as you started your own business? Wow, that is a great perspective. And that really makes me think about right now, um, so many businesses contracted, 
not so many are growing and some of them are more stagnant. Some of them are trying to understand, should I even try to put, put more fuel on the fire because everything's going in flames or am I really gonna try to salvage something and then start rebuilding the company? So with that in mind, what would you suggest for someone either who is starting their own company because they're being let go due to the economic crisis and they're now saying, oh my God, if I never start my company now, now or never, right? or I need to salvage what I have. What would you then recommend based on what you just shared? How, besides strategic partnerships and relationships, where to start? Where, where, where will be the good start and, and what to pay attention for? Well, I think inevitably, you, whether you wanna call it a strategic partnership or relationship, I mean, you need to have some type of mentors or some type of guide in your life of people that have been in business. It doesn't have to be the same business, good business people, in my opinion, can run just about any type of business. So I would try and find people who have done this, who have experience and ask them if they'll give you 10, 30 minutes, an hour of their time for you to ask some questions because it's always better to, in my experience and in my opinion to learn off of money that someone else lost instead of money that you've lost. And trust me that I've lost tens of thousands of dollars trying new things and trying that thing when if I could have found someone that could have taught me that in the beginning and maybe paid them half, I'd had more money in the bank account. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't make it think that you're, don't think that that makes you weak because there are people out there that are willing to give advice, willing to help people out. And because I mean, personally, I do this all the time because I'd rather see people not fail. I'd rather show them how to do something, even if they're in the same industry that I'm in, you know, competition, I think is something that's a little bit overused. There's enough business out there in the world for all of us. Why not help someone succeed? If you can, give them five, 10 minutes of advice and help them avoid pitfalls that some of us have already encountered. I think that's a great advice and I love your mindset because again, coming from that lack or fear versus coming from abundance and coming from the sense of truly uh, desire wanting to help. And I think this, this, this year it's proven that who you can count on, who is coming from what side of the, of the coin, because this is the same coin, uh, as they say, of, of both worlds, right? Question it is which one we control and which one we really give in and which one we are expanding with. Uh, and I honestly think I, this is a perfect timing for learning as well, isn't it? I've so many people, including myself, as like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. I want to I wanna muster this. I want to take this to the next level. But I also want to learn because I don't know what I don't know because there's so many additional components to it. So what do, what do you think for people that want to create a sustainable, strong foundation? What should they be uh, learning? What should be paying attention to? Or from who should they be learning? What's out there that you will say, my God, this was amazing journey for me as a result because of X, Y, and Z. Sometimes that's difficult because you constantly have gurus. And yes, I just use yes. air quotes with gurus because typically gurus are more impressed by the way they talk, more um, interested in what they have to say instead of what it means to you and how it means to you. So sometimes you have to filter through quite a few people to get to the person that maybe has a better message that's more applicable to you. So it's going to take a little bit of research. It's going to take a little bit of time, but it depends on what you're trying to do. You know, if you're trying to do self-help, then you know one of these people that's just rah-rah and just trying to make you think everything is better may feel good initially, but it may not be the best for you long-term. So I think it's just kind of 
maybe taking some time to reflect, um, think about where you are and where you want to be and what you want to do. And I think the more times you can kind of iron out what you're looking for, then the path is a lot quicker. I mean, it's no different than if you're looking for a car. You know, if you're out looking at 10 or 20 different brands until you find the car you like, it's hard to actually make a, a decision on which car you're going to buy. And it's the same thing with if you're making a pivot or changing something in, in what it is you or what you want to do. I think you have to figure out where you want to go before the path is very clear. Wow. I love it again because you, you, you are amazing because a lot of times we're looking for answers of outside of ourselves, aren't we? Mm -hmm. And answer is always within ourselves. We know on the end of the day, what we like, what we don't like, who we respect, who we can trust and, and what resonates. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, more than ever, it is time to self-reflect and take a time to pause. As they say, slow down to speed up, right? I think this is also a great opportunity for that as well. Yes. And the one thing I'll say is, you know, the one thing that I've always preached to my children, my daughter actually has a degree in it without trying to it, is the anytime you can learn psychology and personality, I don't care what you're doing in life. If you can understand who you're talking to and understand how to talk to that type of person, you're going to be more successful. It doesn't matter if you're an attorney, a doctor, a salesperson, or a plumber. Um, so anytime you have some time to learn something and you don't aren't really sure, look into learning how personalities are, how to identify personalities, how to react to personalities. Because again, in any walk of life you're in, if I know kind of how you're thinking and what type of personality you are, and if I can approach it appropriately, I'm going to be more successful in having a relationship with whomever you're talking to. Wow. I think you, you, you hit a nail in the head, as they say, uh, because right now, as through behavioral aspects of it, and, and something that I've been for so long paying attention, being... Uh, studying and involved and, 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 and looking what behavioral, behavioral behaviors and as a behavioralist ex people exhibiting, but also triggers and, and motivations, motivation factors. And I find a lot of people obviously wanted to do change closer to 95%, I would say, uh, based I believe Gallup's research. It's when, when it's a tremendous pain. And it's sad that so many people wait for the pain to occur to finally say, okay, I'm gonna make some changes versus that small percentage of being proactive, which is I believe less than 3% that are really thinking, oh my God, I don't wanna to wait to the pain and I don't want to, for all of this to go to this horribly bad situation before I take responsibility and ownership and accountability for it which I'm seeing a lot of discrepancy, obviously in leadership in Fortune 500 companies, for example, to contrast that with the small and medium uh, companies in the United States. So where do you see usually from entrepreneurial standpoint, the change occurring? Uh, are you one of those proactive ones? I'm assuming you are based on everything you shared, but what can you tell for the guys also that are st still coming from the pain because most of my clients, fortunately, are seeking when it's too painful and it's risking all. Marriage, uh, ch uh, children, uh, longevity, health, um, responsibility around their business or their role. And when everything is kind of crashing and burning, it's very hard to stop the train wreck, isn't it? 100%. Um, I used to work for a large company. That was an industry that was going south, not north. And thankfully, um, I was one of the first ones that got out. 
I probably should have left a year or two before I did. I just wasn't there mentally and prepared to go off on my own. And then I saw a lot of people as the team, the work for this company went from 40 people to four over a few years. And people um, that waited maybe a little bit longer and maybe didn't leave on their own terms or had to find something quicker. Sometimes you don't make as good a decision because you're just trying to jump off the ship and hoping you can hold on to something and not sink. As opposed to those that left a little bit earlier and were in a better position to go and do something as opposed to those that held on too long because they were afraid of what was on the other side. You know, sometimes, you know, the craziness I know is better than the craziness I don't know, but at some point that craziness you know may get too crazy and you may have fewer options if you hold on too long and you're afraid to make that jump. That is very interesting because I remember my loyalty and loyalty not necessarily to my colleagues or company, but the clients that I was serving held me longer than I needed to with this nonprofit that I used to run. And, and I remember how heartbroken I was because um, even though I saw symptoms, you know, uh, in so many ways that I needed to have a change, I have to say, uh, and, and it's very interesting too, it's like the way we're raised uh, and I'm not justifying, but it's just the contrast in what you just said, that sometimes also we have the sense of accountability, responsibility, loyalty, but then we need to also revisit, are they loyal to us? And when that loyalty needs to change, and I was obviously very young and, and, and naive in many ways, till I later on looked back and honestly took me because I, that was one of my longest employer over, over 10 years and took me almost like it's years and years to detox and years and years to actually unpack and learn everything because it's so hard when you're in midst of all of that, right? And, and, and it's like a boiling frunk syndrome. You go from very lukewarm water to boiling water and, and you boiled over. Uh, it's, it's, and, and right now I'm seeing a lot of that happening as well. But, but the reality is we cannot have healthy assessment as, and, and as you said earlier, opportunity to step back and revisit everything if we're midst of the crisis all the time. Well, and I understand what you talk about with growing up and stuff like that, because, you know, I grew up with a work ethic, with working a lot as a child and stuff like that, and of the old mentality of being loyal to your company and giving notice before you leave and things like that. And I think it's a lot easier to stay with that when you work for smaller companies, as opposed to when you work for larger companies and you realize that the only thing that matters to the larger company is the company, sometimes. Um, because I think what made it easier for me to leave when I was finally ready to leave that last position was the time before that, a decade before when I worked for a large company, that I was ascending up the ladder. But the only way to ascend up the ladder was to move to places I, I didn't want to live. And we just had brand new ba baby girls. So we wanted to kind of, again, recoil a little bit and maybe make a pivot from a family perspective versus a professional perspective. And I resigned four times in six months, was talked out of resigning every time until they finally had a replacement that I had trained for myself. And then I was dismissed for doing something that wasn't my job, it was my boss's job. So it kind of made me realize, hmm, you know, I, I was trying to do this for my family. I kept staying because of this loyalty that was beaten into my head. But in the end, they didn't really care about me. They just wanted to make sure that I was there to do the job until we had someone else to do the job and then I was disposable. So that really kind of changed my mindset, I think long-term about working for a larger company that probably is more worried about them and the upper tier echelon than they are the people on the ground doing the work. Very, very good point. And, and, and specifically right now, the shows 
some companies have been really, I would say heartless, because if you're not centric, human centric, that shows, and that bleeds into customer service, that bleeds into sales, that bleeds into service delivery, uh, bleeds into uh, how we interact with, with one another and how we actually build or not build uh, partnerships and the loyalty of customers and consumers, because guess what? Uh, a specific larger company you are most likely in another four or five companies in average offer similar services like you do. So you are replaceable. The question it is who stays because of whom? And right now, I really think it's opportunity to revisit all of that. And, and when we're soulless and heartless in an in, in, in environment where we suffocate, where it's all about the numbers, where it's all about a bottom line, and it's then you are heading for the bottom, in my opinion. You're not headed for the peak and top of the mountain because your view is so restricted. Your leadership uh, just position maybe is there, but leadership, leading organization and leading people and teams, it's nowhere to be found. And, and, and I really feel like all of those things that were before swept under rug, right now are like, burst open and and they're so telling i don't know what's your perception of that but specifically with the larger companies we're seeing like i was just uh seeing analytics and statistics of 2019 we had a largest exodus where the most of actually very small percentage were leaving on their own terms or being allowed to say that but insane firing of ceos for misconducts of wide ranges that we cannot even fund them that people are still doing today. as like, seriously? And it's not just, uh, you know, manipulation of the money and it's not about sexual harassment at work. I mean, when you look at the track record of, it's like four or five misconducts that in reality, it's like, how, how do you even justify that? How do you even bring this to the board of directors to check off? But then you'll look at the cluster of, of, of who attracts who, right? And who is the part of which organization? And it's just so sad, in my opinion, seeing some of the brands since you mentioned and also how branding is important. Some brands that were standing for over 100 years, they lost the footing, they lost respect, they lost consumers' backing. So, so guys, this is, this is serious. Uh, also opportunity to whatever maybe somebody else was doing when you were saying earlier, I always believe to do the right thing. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about how more than ever ethics are important in the business? Not because who is watching. You don't do things because people are watching, but because it means something to you. And that is foundation of your business and who you are. I think anytime you don't start with that and finish with that and are consistent with that, you're going to have issues some way, shape or form, whether it be large or small. Um, as you see, mentioned some of these large companies, there are some very large companies that are having very downsides because during a political, very political year, very political times in our lives, they have maybe gone with one cause versus another. And when you're doing that in a divisive time, it can be, have a very negative effect for a large company. And not saying you can't care about other people, you can't have positions about other people, but you kind of have to look at your brand, your position, and your long-term approach versus just knee-jerk reactions. The companies that make knee-jerk reactions are never going to be as stable, in my opinion, or have a long-term approach compared to those who have a consistent message, 
a consistent policy, a consistent service that's just going to keep chugging along. Because again, you know, you can grow this much a year, over a hundred years, that's all growing a lot compared to the people that go up and down every year and are struggling just to identify who they are and, and having a consistent brand. I mean, there's a reason why Walt Disney has been Walt Disney for years. You know, why some of these other companies have been that, their name for years. They may have not been the best company. They may have not have been the best on every situation, but they've been more consistent. Consistency is something you just don't see as much, I think, this day and age in any level of business as we used to 10, 20, 50 years ago. That is very true. And, and my question is why? Because we also have a cultural consistency based on your values and what's important to you. And I'm glad you mentioned Disney. Disney has been having amazing leadership trainings, amazing brand, and then and certain things start shaking and, and shifting, not just because of the industry they're in and, 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 and that production stuff, but there were just some stuff that I felt like don't take away the beauty of his vision and what he stands for. And, and don't jeopardize the brand just for something, you know, for quick, let's see if this sticks or let's see if this works or let's, you know, it's different when we do trial and error, but without jeopardizing the value of the company and their brand and their reputation. And I have to really say more than ever, obviously those things are important, right? Um, from sale perspective, what do you, what would you say, uh, Glenn, is most important thing for, for people to shake your hand and have a deal? I think the most important thing is take, is to set yourself apart and to be the consultant. So that means not rushing into a price, not borrowing a um, statement from a friend of ours, not just showing up and throwing up actually taking time to learn about your client, learn about their business, finding out what they need. And again, back to what I said before, providing a solution, not providing a widget, not providing a service, but you need to provide a solution for them long-term, develop that relationship, make sure that it's a solution that fits their needs today, next week and next year. And then may need some molding along to do that because the more you are an integral part or an integral cog in their wheel, the more they're going to need you long-term, as opposed to just trying to get a quick science signature on the bottom line, try and make a little bit of money. Um, again, I'm not smart, but I think if you can make this much money for a long time, it's a lot more than this much money for a short time. So if you're thinking long-term, if you're acting with integrity, I think it's all going to work out better in the end. Mm. Again, same golden rules that apply 100 years ago, continues to apply, doesn't change. And regardless of technology and digital footprint, guys, that is, again, human nature, behavior from uh, people in charge. And, and, and one thing I will just add is delivery on the end of the day, because so many companies, so many consultants, so many firms fail because their delivery is a little bit of short-sighted because we're great about, you know, upselling and selling. And then now when it's work needs to be done, it's like, okay, what happened here, right? So execution is a huge factor as well in that. Well, and again, you talk about long terms. I mean, dealing with some of these Zig Ziglar quotes and phrases, you know, um, under promising and over delivering. If you know you can provide a delivered result in three months, if you tell the customer six and it happens in three, now you're a hero. If you tell them three, it happens in four, you're a goat. So sometimes it's better to limit those expectations to make sure that you can achieve them from the beginning. Brilliant advice. 
Wow, Glenn, this, this is a lot of great golden nuggets and great reminders, even for us seasoned guys and, and always something great to learn. But with everything that is happening and going on now, do you mind just sharing what's on your bucket list? What is uh, left for you? Uh, I mean, since like you've been doing a lot of interesting stuff, you're constantly reinventing and pivoting, but what would you like to see in years to come? And obviously, from leadership standpoint, um, I have a very specific question after that for you. Um, what I'm enjoying kind of at this stage is, again, a little bit of the giving back. Uh, um, I'm, I have a couple different realms that I'm in. They're all basically around sales, just a little bit different approaches or whatever, that I'm enjoying working with other people, helping them get better at this, and helping them grow their businesses. Because, you know, you can only do so much that's just as financially driven, I think. Um, I think didn't realize it that I was a person that kind of enjoyed training and helping others achieve their goals. And I kind of get a lot of fulfillment out of that. So that's what I'm doing a lot in the next couple of waves with a couple of endeavors that I'm in is just trying to help other people get better at whatever they're trying to do and to learn how to get out of their own way. Mm, that is beautiful. I love that. And in terms of Obviously, helping others is a great motivator and, 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 and having others to see some others to thrive, right? Uh, but what, what would you want it to be remembered for? What would you like to be your legacy? Because to me, that is the t top tier. And, and based on, again, research and to others, it, the legacy is this timeless, endless um, echoing of, of somebody's existence. And do you mind sharing what, what would you like to be remembered for? That's an interesting question. Um, I think one thing I, whether you want to, whether it's per, per, particularly proper to say this now, I'd like to remember as a good father. Um, I think I've made a lot of mistakes over the years and I'm always trying to work on doing that better. Professionally, I think just someone that cared more about other people than cared about themselves. Um, I think anytime you have that approach and you're worried more about their outcome, their bank accounts and stuff like that. Um, again, it's another Zig Ziglar thing. If you help enough people get what they want, eventually you'll get what you want. That is amazing. That's beautiful. Um, I, I really hope, uh, obviously you already have phenomenal legacy and track record and great successes and wish you all the best in all those new and uh, vendors, I'm sorry, new events and um, new partnerships and everything you've been doing. But in the same time, I really have to say, I love that you are bringing the value of the family and, and want it to be better thought because right now more than ever, all of that blended personal and professional life that we so, so alienated and tried to separate because that is how was corporate America sterilizing that and pushing. And it's almost like that does not exist. And, and a lot of people as a result, uh, as you said, made a lot of mistakes because we're trying to satisfy one thing and then and on the, on the, and the pain price on the other. And now for first time I'm seeing actually looking things humanely, holistically and realistically actually where all of that is very cohesive. So, uh, and I think it doesn't matter if we're um, an employee, if they're working to try and move up the line, if we're an executive trying to move the business in a new direction, if we're a, an entrepreneur or small business trying to grow our business, I think the one thing we sometimes lose track of is we're doing that for the reasons back home. So it's one thing to excel at what you do at work, but if you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and not taking care of everything at home, why are we doing this? 
excellent point. And also, if, if, if we're great with other people outside, but jerks to our own loved ones, that is not leadership. That is not consistency, congruency with integrity, who we are. It's exhausting. And I see finally people giving up to maintain multiple personalities or personas. And I really hope that uh, audience and listeners get a lot from that. Uh, and Glenn, it's been absolute pleasure to have you. And if you don't mind just in closing, anything that you wanted to address that we missed or, or, or some specific message for the audience, because I really feel like people don't realize how all this is interconnected and you really showed it and demonstrated in this interview. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I think the one message I'd like to share is kind of back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, whether you're um, in a pivot, whether you're in a down cycle, you have to try something different, is if you have fear, face the fear. The fear is not near as bad as what we make it out to be. So just try and do something. Let's say you're trying to do sales and you want to get involved in that and you've never done it in the world. Well, go to a town an hour away, go to a mall and just start talking to people. They're not going to know you. You're not going to know them. But if you can talk to anybody about anything, that's all sales is, is starting a conversation. So just face your fears, track, tackle them, beat them up, get them out of the way and move on. Fantastic. Fantastic. Face the fears, guys. Thank you, Glenn. Have a massive ongoing success and looking forward to chatting with you soon again. Take care. Right. Thanks for having me on.